there. I'm your host, Leslie Randolph. I'm a self-confidence coach for teenage girls and the self-confidence coach you wish you had as a teen. Honestly, I'm the self-confidence coach I wish I had as a teen because I know I could have saved myself and my mother a whole lot of heartache if I'd only known then what I know now. I hope to save you some of that suffering by sharing the lessons I learned late in life right here on Why Didn't They Tell Us. Welcome to the show. Hey, hey, happy people. Welcome back to Why Didn't They Tell Us. Y'all know I love being back in a room with you, and uh, I'm so excited for today's episode. But before we dive in, um, I want to take a moment to express my personal gratitude for your overwhelming response to the last episode with my sister, Laura Schreiber, uh, sharing the lessons she learned from her breast cancer diagnosis. Your messages meant more to me than I can express. And knowing that Laura's story served as uh, an inspiration for those who might be struggling with their own diagnosis or a resource for those who love someone dealing with a diagnosis or simply a a reminder of the like superpower that is mindset. It's just so gratifying and, and truly more meaningful than I can say. So, so thank you for reaching out. Thank you for sharing the episode with those you love and obviously for keeping her in your heart. Um, when I launched my coaching practice and this podcast, you know, it was part of my mission to make the world a better place. Uh, that was my calling since I was in second grade and one that I don't take lightly. My work as a confidence coach is, is a manifestation of that dream because I know that when we are all loving and believing in ourselves, we are able to make the world a better place. Simply, simply by being ourselves, by going after our goals and like sharing our gifts and our essence with the world and those we love, that, that alone, just being you, makes the world a better place. But... <laughs> But there is also a lot of work that needs to be done to make this world better. And a lot of organizations and causes that do such incredible work to create change in this world. So today's episode highlights one of those organizations. And I want to warn you before I dive into the interview that this episode talks about um, abusive relationships and domestic violence, uh, which may be triggering for some. If that is you and you are not in a place to hear this, please take the time that you so generously give me and give it to yourself in the most compassionate and loving way that you can. Um, But if this is simply an uncomfortable topic for you, then I urge and encourage you to stay with me Uh, because I know our ability to have hard conversations might be the key to preventing hard outcomes. So thank y'all for being with me, for being part of my world, for letting me be part of yours. And uh, here's the show. Today, we're talking about relationships. Listen, at every age and stage of life, we are in relationship. We are our first and forever. We are first and forever in relationship with ourselves 
which is a lot of what I talk about over here on Why Didn't They Tell Us? And of course, what I work on in my one-on-one self-confidence coaching practice. Of course, we are all, we also start our lives in relationship with our parents or our caregivers, the people that raise us and undoubtedly serve as models for what relationships are supposed to look like. I will air quote that. (laughs) Uh, We're forever in friendships, you know, some that last a season, some that last a lifetime. And then many of us find romantic partners to share our lives with. And uh, I wish I could say, and they all lived happily ever after. But that is not always the case. Uh, According to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, it is estimated that nearly 20 people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner in the United States. During one year, that equates to more than 10 million men and women. One in three women have experienced some form of physical violence by an intimate partner, and one in four have been victims of severe physical violence. On a daily basis, there are about 20,000 phone calls placed to domestic violence hotlines nationwide, daily. You guys, I could spend the entire episode sprouting statistics like these, but instead, uh, I am bringing in an expert to help us understand how we got here and what we can do to ensure that we and our children are not one day part of this data. Jordan Scorpio is the Director of Community Education at Shalva, the oldest independent Jewish domestic abuse agency in the United States. After moving from New York to Chicago in 2019, she started at Shalva with a focus on creating a prevention education program for young couples. The program, called Seven Circles, successfully launched in January 2022. Jordan guides Shalva's community education team to reach all pockets of the Jewish community with domestic abuse education in a culturally sensitive manner. Jordan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Leslie. And what a great intro. You know, what you talked about in the beginning is exactly how I got into this work. I'm fascinated by relationships. They're everywhere and they're unavoidable. And how do we talk about it and keep it healthy and loving is exactly why I love this work. Absolutely. Well, same here. And I think, I, you know, I always talk about this first and forever friend, which is ourselves, right? And if we are taking care of us, it's not just that we, you know, always feel good, which is a beautiful byproduct of it, of course. <laughs> but then we set ourselves up and care for ourselves in relation to everyone in our world. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, and we don't want to go it alone, even if we have all the self-love and self-confidence in the world. I mean, connection is it's a human need. It's a human desire. So um, it's critical to know how to create those healthy connections. Mm-hmm. So uh, to, to that point, I will say one of the resources that I loved on the Shalva website was this barometer, if you will, of what con- constitutes a healthy, unhealthy, and abusive relationship um, yeah. because it's a spectrum. So mm-hmm. can you kick us off by sharing some of the key components to a healthy and happy relationship? Yeah, absolutely. I I think um, I love this as a first question because we can talk about the heavy stuff and we will get to that. But talking about healthy relationships makes a community safer as well. So I I love that. Um, And some of what you've already touched on is a part of that. Knowing yourself um, and having an understanding of who you are and how you operate in the world is kind of a great foundation to having a healthy relationship, right? Um, 
But there's a lot of other components. Uh, the program that I launched, Seven Circles, uh, there's seven sections to it that touch on how to, a lot of it really touches on how to communicate. Communication is core to everything, which I'm sure you talk about all of the time, but really having an understanding of how and why you communicate, um, you know, what history you're bringing in and why that impacts how you communicate. Um, makes a makes a big impact and kind of talking about assertive communication styles and how important it is to be an assertive communicator in your relationship where you're not just sharing yourself and talking about your needs and you know everything you're thinking but you're allowing space for your partner to do the same like that is really core to a healthy relationship right the bottom line is we all just want to be heard sometimes even if you know even if our partner's right and they know the next step that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be heard um and so listening as a part of communication is really core to a healthy relationship um as well as balance you know, having balance in your relationship, and that can look different in different relationships. Um, you know, depending on who you are and, you know, are you in a very traditional home where, you know, one partner goes to work and the other partner stays home with the kids, that might look like balance in your relationship. As long as you're on the same page about what balance looks like and how it feels, that's really important. And oftentimes we get out of balance in our relationship, um, you know, for example, you have a child and sometimes mom has to take on a lot more responsibilities physically for different reasons. The balance might feel off, but how do you communicate about that balance, right? How do you go get back to communication? How do you talk about something's not feeling what, right? How do we get back to where we used to be? Even in my seven circles program, our first section is about communication. And we do that really intentionally because we always go back to the tools that we kind of teach in that first section as we dive into topics like intimacy or religion or finances. We're always going back to that core communication. I think that also communication is key in terms of conflict and conflict resolution, because as I, as I teased about the happily ever after, um, marriage is work. Uh, relationships are work. Anything, mm -hmm. any connection with anyone in your world is work. And with that comes conflict. So, um, you know, can you, can you tell us what healthy conflict looks like within a relationship? I know a lot of people either grew up in a house where it was, unhealthy conflict mm -hmm. or they saw none of it and, and and now they might be in a relationship and it's like well what's what's this look like so so talk to us about healthy conflict the first piece to conflict is acknowledging that there is conflict in healthy relationships so you know avoiding conflict or thinking that conflict is never going to happen is not very healthy in your relationship because it's not realistic. So really understanding how you both, similarly to communication styles in general, how are you coming and showing up in your relationship? How do you see conflict? And it certainly does go to how you grew up. Conflict looks different. And so having that conversation with your partner, acknowledging, having that self-awareness of what you bring to the relationship in terms of conflict and why, um, and again, I mentioned this earlier, but going back to assertive communication, assertive conflict, um, you know, knowing that you need to hear your partner out, knowing what boundaries to set is a great conversation to have with your partner. You know, I get really upset. For example, somebody might get really upset when somebody slams a door. This is really triggering for me because this is how I grew up and this is what ended up happening. And it was really upsetting for me. As angry as we might get with each other, 
I ask that you never slam a door in my face. That's a really healthy boundary to set and to like, you know, create that baseline with your partner. What are the limits that you really ask them not to pass? Um, and even if they, you know, make a mistake and, and kind of, you know, do slam the door one day, how do you repair afterwards is really important too. And the bottom line, conflict can be really healthy, right? Conflict is like something that... It, if there's conflict happening, that means that you're both two independent people with independent lives and independent opinions and voices. And that breeds conflict sometimes, but that's a beautiful thing to have in a relationship. Um, so looking at it in a positive way is challenging, especially in the moment, but a really beautiful thing to do in your relationship. I love what you just said of in the moment, it, it's a challenging thing. You know, it's similar to like, it's that reframing of like failure failure in the moment ain't going to feel great. I mean, nothing we can do, but if you look at it as a learning experience, an opportunity to grow, an opportunity to do something different, then then you see failure as a gift. So too could conflict be that gift of an opportunity if resolved in a healthy way to create more intimacy, to create more understanding, to create closeness. And so Seven Circles, the, the program through Shalva, which we keep referencing that mm -hmm. Jordan had developed, really speaks to these these healthy tools and these it equips couples to to create this um and then also you know to keep them in that healthy that, that land of healthy relationships where do we leave the land of healthy and then start moving over into unhealthy relationships yeah that's a great question i think you know it's tough What's difficult about the topic of domestic abuse in general is it's hard for people to distinguish between healthy, unhealthy, and abusive. And like you shared earlier, it is on a spectrum. And if it was really easy to define and very black and white, then it would be easy to say, this isn't good, I'm getting out. So, you know, a lot of times, even some of the unhealthy things that we're experiencing are surrounded by positive things, which makes it even more complicated, right? Um, but some unhealthy behaviors is, you know, a lot of fighting, like period, right? Like if you and your partner are not on the same page about things and you are not able to get to a place where there's compromise or where one person feels comfortable saying, I hear you on that, we'll go your route this time and next time we'll go my route. You know, that's certainly an unhealthy experience that you're having. Um, and, and it's when there's a back and forth, it's when there's kind of fighting and disagreements and consistent just icky feelings, right? That's the unhealthy space. Um, and I'm sure we'll get to it, but it's, you know, that's important to kind of share to distinguish them between, you know, certainly what abuse looks like, but those unhealthy behaviors are hard. And something, you know, as we were building seven circles, um, the goal really is to encourage couples to have conversations about topics we know become difficult at some point when you're in a long-term committed relationship. So like, even if you, you know, don't want children, let's say, it's still a topic that society is going to bring up, your parents are going to bring up, you're going to have to discuss, um, you know, so how do you have healthy conversations about these big topics? And one of the things that we acknowledge about the program is one successful outcome is maybe a couple recognizing we're not agreeing on this stuff. We're not in a healthy space. We're not able to have good conversation and move on about these things. Maybe we shouldn't be together. Um, so sometimes an acknowledgement that you're not feeling good is a positive thing as well. I think we all know what physical, physical abuse looks like. And we all would be like, 
oh, well, I would leave. Um, but certainly it's not that simple. And I think my understanding and please, you know, expound upon it and, and correct me is that it, it's a journey towards this place of I'm in an abusive relationship and I don't know how to get out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if the relationship was bad on day one, it would be easy to be like, I'm not invested in this. This person did X, Y, Z to me. Forget it. The reality is a lot of these relationships start really positive, right? Um, a lot of people who ultimately become survivors of abuse, they say, boy, my partner said, I love you after two weeks. They were buying me gifts. They were so invested in me. They wanted me to spend all my time with them. We were so in love and it felt really fast, but really exciting, you know? And I think that's one of those things that like we see in the movies. And so it gets confusing when you're experiencing it, it feels weird, but you're like, oh wait, but this is a rom-com and it gets confusing, right? So like that early, exciting, super passionate love that's one of those really early gut feelings somebody might get that like society kind of tells us to ignore because isn't that exciting? Oh, is that um, what we all wanted? Yeah, it's that story book, right? Exactly. It's that happily ever after, right? So a lot of times these relationships start really positive. And even in speaking to, um, you know, our clients and other survivors and hearing stories, they can go back and remember moments that felt not okay, but they're surrounded by other positive things. So a partner saying to them for the first time, you look really fat in that dress. I really want you to wear the other dress because it makes you look so much better. Well, somebody telling you, you look good in another dress <laughs> and you look fat in the first one is a problem. And that doesn't feel good, but they surrounded it with a compliment and said, thank you for changing. You look so much better now. Aren't you happier? You know, it's little things like that, that are manipulative and come early on and are really surrounded by positive reinforcement that makes it really confusing early on. Um, so, so it's those early things that are hard, hard, hard to recognize, but that's one of the things we talk about a lot in these prevention spaces, trust your gut. Like anybody listening as the one takeaway I would say is trust your gut. Like if you feel like something was weird, something was weird, you know, and we're really trained not as young women, um, younger, we're, we're trained to not trust our guts and to kind of, you know, be the nice person, right? Which I know you talk about all the time, Leslie, and I'm sure you do so much one-on-one. Like, what does it mean when society is telling young girls to just be nice and, um, you know, they're, they're probably just having a bad day and finish out the date. And if they call you, like, isn't that nice of them? And all of those things when we might feel weird about something. Yeah, no, that's so, that's so critical. And, and I do talk about that a lot. Self-trust is such a key part of self-confidence. Um, but it is, it is the smallest muscle of the self-confidence muscle because it is so hard to develop. And certainly when we have programming and messaging of that, that good girl and what a good girl does. I love this advice. If we take nothing away from today, trust your gut, learn to trust your gut, learn to tune into your gut. Um, but I, you touched on something. So again, I, I think we all have a very clear image of physical abuse, mm-hmm. but there are certainly other forms of abuse and that I, I would call emotional abuse, that yeah. manipulation that you spoke of. But can you, can you give us some more examples of that, um, that we can take into our consideration? 
Absolutely. And just to start by saying, I can't tell you the number of people who call our helpline and say, I didn't think it was that bad because my partner never put their hands on me. The reality is the core of these relationships. And when you look at the, like the official definition of domestic abuse, it has nothing to do with physical violence. And in fact, many of the stories that we hear, um, they don't involve physical violence, right? Like it's, that's not what, and our, I've heard this at other organizations and from survivors across the country. We've heard it at Shalva from clients. It's not the physical scars that are hard to heal. Those heal and go away. It's the emotional scars that they experience because it's that constant, you know, bickering at somebody, breaking somebody down um, emotionally that is so hard to come back from. Isolation, you know, isolation might start with, I love you so much. I can't wait to get to know you more. Please like stop for a high school student, stop going to soccer practice or stop hanging out with your girlfriends, come hang out with me. Um, and we see that in our adult relationships as well, right? Don't do those normal things or your sister looked at me in that really rude way and I'm not going to spend time with her anymore. So you need to think about what that means for our relationship. Things like that, where then once somebody feels like this is not an okay relationship. I'm thinking about getting out. I feel unsafe. They feel like they have nobody to turn to. So that's a really specific manipulative tactic that somebody who perpetrates abuse will use because once you're isolated, who are you going to turn to for help? Um, so the isolation, the breaking somebody down, tech abuse is certainly something that we're seeing more and more of. Um, we had an incredible speaker a couple of years ago, a great example of someone who she never was physically harmed by her partner, but he moved her across the country where she knew nobody. They lived in a smart home. So like lots of technology and he would travel for work a lot. And she said in the middle of the night from wherever he was, he would start blasting music. He would turn the temperature really high or really low. And she would come, he would come home and she would say, why would you do that? And then he would gaslight her. He would say, I didn't do that. You're crazy. Why are you making things up? So that is both an example of gaslighting and emotional abuse around gaslighting, as well as um, tech abuse, which certainly happens more and more, whether it's, you know, using technology to track people, um, using technology the way she experienced it. Um, or of course, you know, people will show up for an order of protection with, you know, a hundred pieces of paper printed out of threatening text from their partner, you know, saying X, Y, Z, you know, if you're, looking at a friend or a loved one and you're wondering if they're in an abusive relationship, if you see, you know, 17 texts from someone's partner or their partner's constantly calling and they need to call back and check in and they seem uncomfortable with that, like that's certainly a red flag that like people around somebody who's experiencing abuse might see and think that's not okay. Just to reemphasize, abuse is not always physical. And I think that that's a really important distinction because again, we know what that looks like. And mm -hmm. we all think, oh, I wouldn't. Um, but Jordan painted this so beautifully. If you're on the receiving end of all those text messages, it's really easy to be like, oh, wow, he really likes me. Oh, mm -hmm. wow, he really cares. Versus this doesn't feel right. This is too mm -hmm. much. Um, and that isolation piece, absolutely. It speaks to why it would be so difficult to leave because where are you going? Can we pinpoint common personality traits that an abuser might exhibit 
um, you know, for someone who's entering the, the serious dating scene or, you know, the mother of a young adult who's starting mm-hmm. to be dating, you know, what are, what can we look at look at as early indicators for trouble ahead? Yeah, that is a tough question to answer. And I do want to start by saying I know we're in this conversation speaking fairly gendered about this issue, um, which I think is appropriate for, from Shava's perspective, as well as, you know, the target audience that you work with, you know, young women and um, uh, and adult women. Um, but certainly, you know, this happens in uh, LGBTQ relationships. It happens female perpetrators of abuse to male partners and all of that. So just to start with that, it can be anybody. Um, And I think it is a hard question. (laughs) Um, And we don't, you know, you don't want to be specific because you don't want then information to somebody to think, oh, well, that's not my partner. So they don't fit into that box that we share. I think it does go back to the trust your gut. I think a great thing to talk about is, um, we see this a lot in, I, we work with Jewish survivors and within the Jewish community, certainly lots of examples of clients who say, well, my parents loved this guy. He's a great Jewish doctor. He's perfect. They've always loved him, which, you know, is isolating also how am I, you know, people around you building somebody up because of a public reputation can sometimes hinder them coming to you for support, if that makes sense, right? So whether they're a wonderful, very successful person, whether they're captain of the football team and super popular in high school, like, let's be careful when we're talking to our loved ones and our children, especially, I think, about a new relationship um, so that they can always feel comfortable coming to us if they do feel like this weird thing happened what do I do? Um, you know, so we can certainly be happy about the partner, but let's not be too happy when we don't know very much, especially in the beginning. <laughs> Domestic abuse is a very tough issue and it's been around literally forever. And what's so fascinating is at the core of it, it is about power and control, right? That is the definition. It's about somebody asserting power and control over somebody else. And they just find different tools to do it since the dawn of time. So there is something to that, right? But it's hard to really pinpoint and say, you know, they're always a narcissist or they're always this. It's just about what they're doing. Control over what you're wearing, where you go, who you see, It's something like 98% of abusive relationships, there's financial abuse going on. So even if it's a, you know, a two income family, a big, beautiful house, everything looks great on the outside. If there's abuse going on, I can almost guarantee you that that partner who's the survivor in the relationship does not have access to money. And that is all about control. Can you continue to talk about why it's so hard, you know, from an outsider perspective of someone that's like, just leave him just, but it isn't that easy. It's certainly not. And this is where I'm going to go back to the trust your gut thing for, especially for somebody who's supporting someone in an abusive relationship. It takes somebody a certain amount of times to leave before they actually do. If they choose to leave at any point, it might take them many times to, to leave, which might be frustrating to watch or experience or support as an outsider. But that person is trusting their gut. That person who's trying to leave knows best what triggers their partner and they know best how to keep themselves safe. That's the bottom line. And we know that a partner leaving is the most dangerous time for them. That's when we get the stories of some, uh, you know, unfortunately, like horrific murders um, or like severe injury 
comes often when somebody is trying to leave. And that's because that's the partner saying, I'm taking my power back. I'm out of here, which is the exact opposite of what someone perpetrating abuse wants. So it can be really dangerous um, and it can take a lot of time if somebody chooses to leave to actually do it. Um, one of the first things our therapists do with a new client is safety plans with them, um, which is very unique for each client that comes through the door. What does a safety plan actually look like? Um, but there's certainly a lot of reasons to stay. A lot of people stay for their children for different reasons. Um, staying and leaving, <laughs> wanting to stay and wanting to leave could be a reason. Um, the children could be a reason. Um, there's a lot of shame, right? <laughs> like nobody's going to believe me. So why am I going to leave? We can't take away the fact that there is likely love in this relationship. You know, depending on when somebody is thinking about leaving, it might not be all bad all the time. I think, you know, eventually a lot of these relationships do become mostly bad, but in the middle, in the beginning, there's good and there's bad. And there's that honeymoon phase that we talk about a lot in the cycle of abuse. And that, that part of that cycle of abuse is about keeping somebody in. There will be an incident of abuse and then it will be apologies and I'm going to change and I promise you and I need you to help support me as I try to change and here's a gift. And we want to help this person. We care about this person. We love this person. Maybe we have children with this person um, and that can't be discounted either. Um, and I think it's tough for someone who's never been in the situation to really realize that, but that is certainly a part of why somebody might stay as well. Based on that response, I'm curious then, because it sounds like what I heard is leaving is potentially very dangerous. Yeah. Um, of course, it could potentially save your life, but it, it could also potentially be very dangerous. Um, is there coming back? Something that I think about a lot, um, especially in the prevention space, and why I love the idea of talking to young people, boys and girls, um, hurt people hurt people is very relevant in an abusive relationship. People are not just typically like soci all of these people doing this are not sociopaths, right? They likely saw abuse in their home and that's how they saw love, right? That's what love is. Love is, you know, doing abusive things to your partner. That's how you show and that's how you teach respect and that's how you do all of these things. And so that's what somebody learns in their household and that's what they're going to do in their adult relationships. So it is very, there are some really great programs out there for perpetrators of abuse. They don't always have, including here in the Chicago area, there's some really great things going on. The tough thing is the success rates are pretty low because a lot of people, this is my understanding, a lot of people who are in those programs, it's court mandated. They don't want to be there. They don't think that they are doing anything wrong. It is very, very hard for someone who is a true um, person uh, who perpetrates abuse to really acknowledge that what they're doing is wrong and to want to get help. But certainly that does happen. And when it happens, it can be a beautiful thing. Um, but it's really it's really hard for someone. You know, it speaks to the power of seven circles, because from my understanding, it's a it it gives you and your partner an opportunity to understand where the lens through which they see love and relationship and what that looks like. And so if you then have you're able to see like, OK, this is the house in which they grew up with. 
it's an opportunity to to build a healthy relationship, to change some of the, that belief system and some of those behaviors um, before we get to mm-hmm. maybe the two car garage and the two kids and that, yeah. that place of much harder repair. Absolutely. Uh, One of the earlier um, sections of content is about, it's called family insights. It is so important to, to, and it's like a lot of the topics, it's interesting. Some of the couples who go through it, they're like, you know, we've had these conversations before, but we've never done a deep dive and it's never been an intentional conversation. So you might know your partner's parents are divorced. You might know that they're an only child and this is how it impacted how they grew up or whatever it is. Um, But have you really had a meaningful conversation about how it impacts who you are today? And how you show up in your relationship. And that is so important. So we do that section early on in the program. And that is also something we return back to. So um, like, for example, when they get to the section about intimacy, we start by saying, okay, if you didn't talk about this in the family insight section, how did you learn about sex growing up? Did you, was that an open conversation? What did you know, intimacy look like in your home? Did your parents hug you? Uh, did they kiss each other in front of you if you had a two-parent household? All of these things. And just opening the door to a conversation and allowing somebody to process on their own as well as with their partner, not just to learn more about themselves, but to learn about how that works when you're bringing two people together with their own histories is really, really important. Can you, again, just give us some red flags if you are the parent of someone who is starting a serious relationship. And I want to also backtrack because I really love what you offered of this. This isn't just when we get to, oh, are they going to get married? You gave a great high school example. Mm -hmm. You know, there is some serious dating and, and some very big emotions happening in your teen years too. And we're not just going towards the, the domestic violence that maybe, you know, we again see in movies. Yeah. It, it has many different forms. So can you just spell out again for ourselves, for our kids? And thank you for that. Yeah, this does, Shelva helps the Jewish community. Yes, women are more prevalent to abuse, but abuse does not discriminate. It's for every community. Um, again, some of those red flags that we can be on the lookout for. Absolutely. And just to note, um, young women between the ages of 16 and 24 are at highest risk of being in an abusive relationship. So not only is it like relevant, but it's the most at risk age group. So certainly something, you know, important for um, individuals to talk to their kids about. Uh, it's funny. I'm I'm actually currently pregnant, which I think I shared with you. And my husband, I think, has a fear that I'm going to start talking to my kid at age two about healthy relationships. And I'm like, so what if I am? That's super important. Like it, when I started this work in high schools, and everyone said, go earlier, middle school, go earlier, elementary school. And it's true. We can talk to young people about this topic at a very early age in appropriate ways. When you're watching a movie, you can start talking to them about gut feelings they might have, right? If you're sitting with a six-year-old watching a Disney movie and you know it's that fairy tale situation, you can say, you know, that looks nice on TV, but it might not feel good if somebody's, you know, does XYZ so early in the relationship. Like you can start doing those things really early on. The other thing I'll say for parents that I think is a really great conversation to have and something that I'm not a parent yet, but I think is important to share is 
you might not be the person your kid wants to go to if there is an issue, but it's a great conversation to have to say, I know you're really close with Uncle Joe. Let's talk about you going to Uncle Joe if you don't feel comfortable coming to me if you have a relationship issue and talk to Uncle Joe about it and say, Uncle Joe, we identified you're the right person and you know, re-emphasize with your kid that you are there for them, of course, but if you're not the person they're comfortable coming to you to, if there's an issue um, or if they're unsure about their relationship or whatever it is, it's a great thing to identify who might be better together. But early red flags, um, I think especially for, well, it's for anybody. Like I kind of think parents and like friends, which we all are likely going to have some friend at some point who we're worried about, statistically speaking, um, if they start dating somebody new, that is certainly a time to think, okay, are they changing how they look? Are they changing how much they're showing up to things? Like those are certainly early red flags that might just be, you know, they might be really caught up in the relationship too and everything's fine, but it might, you know, little yellow flag coming up a little bit to say, let me think about this a little bit. Um, a lot of people do say that like, you know, the first time they met somebody, um, whether it's, you know, boyfriend coming over to dinner with the parents or, you know, friend group meeting the, the girlfriend for the first time or whatever it is. Um, boy, the way that they said this one thing to you at dinner, I'll never forget it. You know, I've heard plenty of stories, people saying after the divorce happens, I will never forget the first time I met him and he ordered for you. And I'd never seen anybody order for you before. And it was so strange to me. And it was one of the first things I noticed and I never forgot it from 10 years ago. Right. So it's little things. We know our loved ones and our friends well. So what feels a little bit different early on? Um, trust your gut. So how can we support someone we love if we believe that they're in an unhealthy or abusive relationship? Yeah, I would say like one of the first things about this is bring curiosity to a conversation that you're starting with somebody, right? Don't say, I saw this in this and he seems like a creep. Because <laughs> that's going to shut somebody down, right? Like that, like we want to be careful, including because a lot of these relationships are kind of a roller coaster. You know, if you suspected something and your friend breaks up with that person, if they might get back together with them. So be really careful about what you say, because then they're going to get back together with them and then not want to talk to you anymore because they know you think they're a creep or whatever word you use, right? So open-ended questions and kind of thinking about ways that you can help maybe get somebody to be open and share a little bit. Um, maybe sharing some of your own, like, oh man, you know, it's so reminded me of when I was dating this person uh, when they ordered for you. Like, that's such a new thing for you. How did that feel when they did that? Um, you know, things like that, that are just a little more approachable and calm rather than saying, I don't know about this person. I'm really, they seem like a creep. <laughs> you just want to be, you want to kind of tiptoe around it a little bit. Um, and the reality is like, once you really know somebody's in an abusive situation and maybe they're not around as much, a lot of our instincts are the opposite of what's actually helpful in the situation. Um, because we want this person to be safe. We want this person to not be in this relationship and we have to realize that we're not in control of that. We have to, our goal, and this is something like the therapists at Shalva, I love learning from them. I could never do their job because it is so difficult because their job is not 
a client comes in and they tell them exactly how to leave their partner. They're there to give somebody the power back that they lost. We're here to empower somebody so that they can make decisions for themselves. And sometimes that means leaving. And sometimes that does not mean leaving, like we've talked about, right? So it's not just about getting somebody to leave. It's about empowering somebody to make the best decision for themselves. And it's the same being a friend. We can't just, you know, talk to them every day and say, I'm worried about you. Leave, 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 leave. Why haven't you left? Why aren't you leaving? Why didn't you call the police? Why don't you call a lawyer? We can't, we're not in their shoes and we can't tell them what to do. If we start telling them what to do, that's what the person abusing them is doing. Why would they want to talk to us anymore? It's like, it's so the opposite of what we in our good hearts want to do is what we, what we shouldn't do in reality. And it's really, really hard. And I will say like Shalva is one of many resources that we are happy to talk to somebody who's trying to support somebody in an abusive relationship because it is really tricky. Um, the other thing I'll say is you want to be really careful to not give advice to somebody. You know, we talked about how dangerous it is to leave someone. So, and safety planning is so critical. We don't want to help somebody safety plan. I can't help somebody safety plan. And I work at an abuse agency, but I don't have that expertise, right? It's really a delicate situation. And so we want to be careful not to give advice, but we want to support somebody in reaching out to somebody who can give them advice. Do you want to call a helpline together? Do you want to text you know, this organization together? Can I sit here with you? Can I do anything to support you right now? are great things to ask somebody if they do ever open up and tell you they're in an abusive situation. But I think that this is so core um, because what we want, it, I mean, my work, it, confidence is to empower women so that mm -hmm. they can take care of themselves. In relationship, we want to take care of those we love. So if there are ways in which we ourselves as, as allies, as advocates, or as someone within a relationship, can empower ourselves or other people. I mean, this is how we change those statistics, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, just telling somebody if they share any little nugget, it's very hard for somebody to label their relationship as abusive. Even if they've been coming to Shalva for 10 years, they might not do it, right? That's Labels are very powerful things. Um, which also, by the way, like if somebody discloses something, you don't be like, that's abuse. That person's abusive. That's not good either. But um, for us to say, I believe you, as soon as somebody tells us any nugget that makes us think this is not an okay relationship, I hear you. I believe you. I'm so sorry that happened to you. That is so empowering for somebody to hear. I mean, if you're the first person they're sharing something with, think about how powerful that would be for them to hear. Uh, you know, I am not alone in this. This person believes me. So I'm not crazy. And that's that's the hope. Yeah, because I will say you you touched on the word gaslighting um, mm -hmm. because even in preparation for for this interview, I talked to someone I love dearly, who years later can now say, "Wow, I, it was a really unhealthy, abusive relationship. Mm -hmm. Never physical, never mm -hmm. touched her, um, but on the other side of it, she can she can see that. But yeah. when she was in it." Again, that self-trust mm -hmm. was not there and she could almost gaslight herself, certainly yeah. because he was fueling that flame, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think that 
something I've seen over the past couple of years is terms like gaslighting or love bombing. I mean, these are more common terms that are happening, which I, in like general society, which I think is really great. I mean, gaslighting is such an insidious experience. (laughs) I mean, it's literally crazy making. That's what it is all about. And certainly it starts happening in your own mind all the time. What advice do you have for a woman who might find, think she is in an unhealthy or an abusive relationship, but she just feels paralyzed to take action based on the overwhelm of all of it? I want our community to not feel like it is such a big deal to pick up the phone and call our helpline and just get some advice. You know, if you aren't sure about your own relationship or somebody else's, if you're really worried about what's going to happen if I make a phone call, make the phone call, you know, find a safe way to make that phone call, whether it's going to your friend's house and asking them to dial the phone for you and them sitting and holding your hand with you, whatever it is, taking that first step and calling a resource It can be anonymous, right? You might hang up and never talk to anybody ever again, or you're in conversation with somebody and you end up making an appointment with the therapist, right? But kind of, even if you're unsure, call. Well, thank you for that. And all of Shalva's information will be in the show notes um, as a resource for you or for anyone you love. Um, Jordan, before we close out today, anything else you want to add to this really meaningful conversation? I think this was really great. I'm so appreciative of the opportunity. And I would just say, as much as you can point out to young people what might not feel good, you can also point out what feels good. I I love encouraging parents to have conflict and repair that conflict in front of their kids. I love parents, you know, talking about relationships with their kids, I think can make such a huge difference. Even if you're a single parent and you're not in relationship talk about relationships with our young people. And I I truly believe that's how we can, um, you know, move into a more positive place. So I I encourage you to do that with young boys and young girls and everybody in between. Yep. And then we can be part of creating a future generation that has the tools and the history to create those healthy relationships. Um, Warms my heart. (laughs) Jordan, thanks for all you do. Um, My friends, Clearly, this is a critical conversation to have with our kids at appropriate ages and in appropriate age-appropriate ways um, with our friends, our partners, and our spouses any time of the year. Um, but I wanted to have it today as October is National Domestic Violence Awareness Month, um, which again, makes it the perfect time to start or continue this conversation in your world as well. As I said, Shalva resources are included in the show notes along with other important numbers for you to keep for yourself or share with those you love. If you or someone you know is struggling, please remember organizations like Shalva are here to help and empower you. Till next time, Jordan, thank you so much. Thank you. Love what you hear? Well, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me at confidencecoachforgirls.com that's confidencecoachforgirls.com or email me at lesliethelifecoach at gmail.com. That's lesliethelifecoach at gmail.com. Hope to hear from you.